0: yeah, we are finishing up. God made known. I've really, I don't know if it's just me, I've really enjoyed this. It's been a a privilege and a pleasure to study for this. We've just been looking at who is God? What is he like? How does God reveal himself to us? Uh, This changes everything. Who do we pray to? Who are we serving? Who are we worshiping? What is he like? What are his thoughts or his emotions toward us? There's a a sense of this. We've talked about this every week. Um, God is incomprehensible, but he's knowable. God is infinite, So in some ways, like, who am I to try to communicate the infinite God? We are very finite in our knowledge and our understanding. However, God, yes, he is infinite. He has made himself knowable, that we may know him. You know, in a sense, you can see the issue has been a lack of knowledge of God. That's what the prophets have talked about, that there's like a lack of knowledge. I'd say in in our day and age, I think there's a lack of knowledge of God. I think there's misunderstandings of God. What is he like? What is he doing? What does he want to do? Um, I think if we could have a healthier view, a more complete view of God, this will change again how we just do day-to-day life, how we love people, how we serve, how we just do everything will change just knowing what kind of God I'm worshiping. I hope that throughout this series, God has maybe redeemed some kind of like broken views of God, that God is not some like angry man in the sky who's just waiting to punish as much as he's a loving father looking to bless and train and equip I hope there's just been a lot of redemption in our view of God. We're ending today, but I don't feel like this could ever be over. We've done like 13 different weeks in this, but I just say know that you can keep going on with the attributes and characteristics of God. It's unbelievable. So let's just review really quick. Here's what we've done so far. First week was God is. It was how God is holy, just, or joy, just love, transcendent, faithful, wise, good, sovereign, grace. Last week we looked at how God is omni, God is all, God is everything, the three big omnis. Um, We see that God is this, he's so much more than this, he's not just limited to this, he's this and more, but I want to end with how God is immutable, God is immutable, meaning God is unchanging, God cannot and God does not change. See, I want you to think about this, God is good, love, joy, just, and he's not going to be different tomorrow. Like the fact that God cannot change, God does not change. Malachi 3:6, the Lord says, I am the Lord, I change not. This is a huge and very important attribute of God. That God is immutable. We are mutable. We change. We change in a lot of different ways. Good to bad, bad to good, one form to another, maybe. We can change in different ways. God says, I do not change. He is that constant, he is that rock, he is that anchor. When everything else is changing, God is not. This is so beautiful to me. This means a lot to me. This has meant a lot to me. I hope you'll be blessed by this truth. I hope this truth can kind of sink into our hearts a little bit that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is so beautiful. And I think I need to kind of tie up this series by just saying and look at everything God is. God is perfectly good, perfectly wise, perfectly sovereign. He is grace himself and he will not stop being that. Isn't that unbelievable? That is our God. There is no one like our God. I love what one uh, author, poet said. He says, change and decay in all around I see. O oh, thou who changest not, abide with me. Everything I see is changing and decaying, but you, God, don't, so abide with me. And this is what we have. We have an immutable God, an unchanging God, the one who is faithful and constant, And so I want to just kind of explore this attribute through the scriptures. We see this clearly in Psalm 102. So why don't we just read Psalm 102, verse 25 through 27. Psalm 102. Let's read it. Verse 25. The author says, Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens and the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like garm- uh, like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. Let's just pray and invite the Lord just to speak and move. So let's do that. Let's bow our heads. Father, we just want to thank you. Thank you for your word. <sighs> thank you for being able to just slow down and remember, God, that um, though life is constantly moving— that, God, you are that one constant. We need you. We ask that you would speak, that you'd bring uh, just this truth clear, that you'd make it clear. God, that it would just transform us. This would be incredibly practical. This would be incredibly transformative in our own lives. And that, Jesus, you would just do your work. And we ask, God, in just your wonderful name. Amen. You know, this is very obvious, but we, we live in a world that is just constantly changing. Like, everything's changing all the time. It's bizarre to me what I look at, like my son, and I see the world he's grown up in, and I, I just feel like I was just a kid like a, a minute ago. You're like you were, but I feel like it's just a minute ago, and it's weird to think like the world he's grown up in, is the world I grew up in. Sometimes, like to show him things, I'll be like, son, like he has a switch. I'm like, yo, I have, I had a Game Boy. He's like, what's that? Like show him this like brick, right? It's like gray. He's like, what is that? I'm like, it's the best thing ever. Like, you don't even know. What can you play? Like a couple games, but it's great. You know, it's fun, it's fun. Like I'll show them like an N64. Like that was my thing. I loved N64. Like I'm a '90s kid. Can't I can't deny. It. And I, I'll hear like, what What the heck is that? I'm like, oh, you don't even know. This nothing compares. But it looks so weird. It's so. It's crazy how much everything is changing. I mean, technology. Think about 10 years ago. I remember the. I can remember the first iPhone I saw. I'm like, what is? It? You can access the internet? Like what? Like it was revolutionary, right? That's like a decade ago. It's crazy to think. How many things have changed, how fast things are changing, whether that's culture, technology. I look at my life and I go, what has changed? You know, I've been married now over 14 years. That sounds so crazy when I say that, 14 years. And I go, man, from when I first got married, my body has changed a lot, (laughs) like a lot. (laughs) Things are just different. I'm like, oh, that doesn't work anymore. Like, it's so bizarre. Like, I can't do that move. I can't do certain things. It's just changing all the time. My son is six. It's bizarre. My wife and I, you know, you get those, like, reminders in your phone. I'm like, this happened three years ago. And I see my son with, like, a chubby little face and his little mullet. He had a baby mullet, like, down his back. It was amazing. And I'm like, oh, I miss my son's mullet. That was so awesome. And it's just weird. Like, things are changing. You know, last night we're talking, or the other day we're talking about my daughter who's three, and I'm like, I just want to press pause on time. She is so adorable. She's so fun. Everything she says is funny to me. Like, everything. And I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't want to, like, I know all 10 years I'll look back and be like, oh my gosh, she's 13. Like, I know it'll freak me out. And it's crazy. Just time is unreal. Change is constant. And here's the thing, obviously. We live in an unchanging world, and yet we serve an, an, a, a, an unchanging God. This world is constantly changing, but God is unchanging. And that has brought me so much peace over the years. I remember when my wife and I left California to move here. This was like an attribute. This sounds, maybe sounds bizarre. I was reading the book, The Attributes of God, my toes around that time. I was like 18, 19. I was reading that around that time. And this was like an attribute of God I just absolutely cling to. I'm just going, wow, God, everything. I'm about to leave my state, I'm about to leave my home. I grew up in one house my whole life, you know, grew up in one city my whole life. Uh, We got married, 20 years old, and we're like, okay, let's move to Florida. And I merged the fear of like uprooting everything. And I'm going, God, this is overwhelming. I can't do this. I don't want to do this in some ways. This is beyond me. And it's bizarre to think like everything will change. Like the thought, I remember going, man, well, everything will be out here. Like our kids will be born here, raised out here, that's happening. I remember like I wanted so badly my kids to be raised out there. Now looking back, I'm like, thank you, my kids are not being raised in California. But, and I'm like, yes, like, it's just so much has changed. And that was such a terrifying thought. And I had to cling to, but God, yet you are like this anchor that does not change. That I, I just like, I need to kind of, tie myself to you this anchor that you are that rock that everything around me is constantly changing you know this this thought of change can kind of sometimes lead to terror if you experience loss of a loved one if you experience anything like that you feel like your world is completely flipped upside down you're going to just lost this person every like everything will change i mean sooner or later like all of us will not be here everything eventually comes to an end everything eventually changes and yet god does not change And I can't explain how much that means. I can't explain how much God has to communicate this truth to his people. He's like, though you fail, though everything's changing, I am the one constant. And this, again, has meant so much to us over the years. Have you ever had someone bail on you? God does not do that. Have you ever had someone say one thing and do something completely different? God does not do that. Have you ever had someone be really kind to you and the next day be really incredibly terrible to you? God does not do that. Like, the point is that God does not change has brought me so much comfort because everything changes. People we love dearly have moved away, have moved on. It's been painful to watch so much change over the years. Sometimes change is beautiful, yes, but many times it's very difficult. And I have this beautiful reminder that I am the Lord, I change not, God says to us. That God goes, I do not change. Everything will change around you. Your kids will grow up and move out. Your loved ones will pass away your world will change dramatically week by week year after year but i don't change this is one of those things i don't i don't know how to explain it other than you, I, you need to experience this nature of god being like a rock god being like an anchor god being like a fortress he's immovable and he's the unchanged one i think it was like heraclitus the greek philosopher who said this idea that you never step into the same river twice. Maybe you've like, heard that phrase. Never step into the same river twice. Everything's changing. It's really funny. It's actually, I think it's Aristotle and Plato who, who you know, knew of him. Heraclitus, he was a Greek philosopher. So Aristotle and uh, Plato say, hey, that's just not true. I, c- I can't agree with that. His whole point with Her- Heraclitus' point was everything's changing all the time. Nothing ever stays the same. And so the idea was there's really no ultimate reality. Since everything's changing, Plato Plato was like, I don't like this idea because as soon as you get close to someone or as soon as you get close to something, you're saying I can't really ever know it because it's constantly changing, so you can't ever really know anything. And so Heraclitus going, Yes, truth is relative. But he goes, No. Plato and Aristotle had this thought that there had to be some ultimate reality. There had to be some sort of unmoved mover, uncaused cause. There has to be something that truly is never changing, because how how would we know things are changing if there's not the one thing that's being constant? We would never really know. God is that ultimate reality. God is that unmoved mover. God is an uncaused cause. That's how we know things are changing because God remains the same. We have to compare it to something. We would never know things are changing if everything was changing. There has to be something that stays the same so we can go, oh, look at this isn't moving. Everything else is moving. God is that unmoved mover. God is the immutable one. That has just brought me so much comfort and peace. So here's what I want to do as we walk through this uh, truth today. We're going to look at Hebrews 13, 8 and just kind of break it up into three points. So Hebrews 13, 8, the famous verse, I said it earlier, but it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So three points, same yesterday, same today, same forever. Here's how we're going to break up, break up this teaching on the immutability of God. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. All right, can we start with yesterday? Let's start with yesterday. Same yesterday. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. All right, Exodus 3. As we kind of explore, again, what does this mean? What does this look like? Exodus 3 gives us a clear picture of this. In Exodus chapter 3, some uh, background God is like, Moses, I've called you. You're going to go to Pharaoh. You're going to do that whole classic, you know, movie scene, let my people go thing. I want you to go and ask for your people to be freed from, from being in slavery. Moses is like, I can't go. I can barely speak. Who am I? God, who would even tell them is sending me? And this is where we see something really interesting. God reveals to, to Moses his name. Uh, If you know in scriptures, there's like a progressive revelation of God, his character, his nature. And so he he knows that there's this this Elohim, this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but who are you? What's your name? What do I call you? So in Exodus chapter 3, verse 13, we're really introduced to to God in his name. Uh, Exodus 3, verse 13. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? (laughs) What shall I say to them? I don't know why, I just love this conversation between Moses and God. Hey, I'm talking to you, but I don't know your name. Um, can you tell me your name? Who, who am I telling them instead of me? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever; thus, I am to be remembered throughout all generations. There is so much here that I want to unpack when it comes to the name of God. I'm going to have to like wait and have to like hold my commentary for that. But what I'm going to po- focus on is God is saying, "Hey, you want to know? You want to know what to call me? You want to know what to tell them about me? Tell them I am who I am has sent you. Tell them I am has sent you. That must be like a, okay." <laughs> I am what? Like, I, what does that even look like? What does that mean? Here's, there's so much communicated in the name of, of God. In, in some ways, when you actually look at this, it's, uh, it could be, I, I will be what I will be. I am who I am. I am that I am. I am. I am has sent you. You're like, okay, what is that? I love what one author says about this. He's Robert Moore. He says, even such names of God as I am, bear witness to the immutability of God. God is. God is uh, ever the same God. He is the eternal I am because his nature is complete. He did not say, I become, but I am. In this name of God, the immu- immutability of God is clearly communicated. I am. I'm, I'm the one who started it all. I'm that uncaused cause. I'm, I'm the one who did this. I'm, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm the God of your fathers. I'm the one orchestrating everything. Like, I am. And he's communicating his eternality and his immutability. And here's what I'm trying to get at. From the very name of God, God is trying to get to this point in this idea that God does not change. This is so beautiful. In the name of God, God is saying, I'm, I'm stability. I'm ultimate reality. I'm that. It's, it's me. So what does it mean that God does not change? Because H- here's the idea. Um, to be able to change, you either need to go from better to worse, from worse to better, or from one kind of being to another. So break it down, better to worse. God does not ever get worse, obviously. God is not like really good one day and really bad the next day. God is not like really holy one day and really evil the next day. God does not get worse. God does not decay. This world, this universe is is constantly in this state of decay. God does not decay. Uh, We, our bodies decay. God does not decay. God does not get older. God does not get younger he is immutable. He does not go from better to worse. He can't get worse. This is one of those things where in a Greek or pagan kind of world, even if you think about pagan world at their time, their gods were constantly all over the the place, and God is like, nope, I'm just the stable one. I'm the constant. I'm the immutable one. I will not get worse. I'll not be happy with you today and angry with you tomorrow. There's this idea that God is just that stability that we are craving and looking for. God obviously can't go from worse to better. God does not improve. It's not, he doesn't even, like, learn in that sense, right? He is God, infinite in knowledge, infinite in love, infinite in goodness. So he's immutable. He does not go from worse to better. He's not improved. He not, he's not a caterpillar. He doesn't go from one kind of being to another, right, from a caterpillar to a butterfly. He does not do that. He does not change from one kind of being to another kind of spiritual being. God is that immutable one. There is so much communicated here in this idea. And this has brought me so much peace and so much joy over the years. He says, I do not change. I do not decay. So here's, I want to break this down really quick, just so we kind of get this. Um, God does not change in what ways? Well, God does not change in his essence or his nature. God does not change his essence or nature. Just stay with me. Again, uh, God is not fickle. It's easy for us to think sometimes as God being temperamental or moody. No, not true, not the case, not biblical, not what we see in scriptures. God is not this temperamental or moody. I can be fickle. I can be all over the place. I can have my emotions really good one day and the next day not so good. It's weird. God is not like that. I love what it says in James 1.17. It says, every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. There's no variation. No shadow due to change. No, no change. God is not fickle. God in his essence is, he's immutable. God in his attributes is immutable. God does not change in his attributes. Again, this is so good. So everything we've studied so far, that does not change. God is all these things we've talked about and he's those things perfectly. God does not change. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. He says, the doctrine of the immu- immutability of God should be more considered than it is for the neglect of it dilutes the theology of many religious teachers and makes them utter many things of which they would have seen the absurdity long ago if they remembered the divine declaration, I am God, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Cons- uh, he's quoting from Malachi six. He says, when we don't have this understanding of God, it weakens or lessens our theology. We misunderstand God. God does not change. Uh, One author said it this way, every change is foreign to God. In him, there is no change in time, for he is eternal, nor uh, in location, for he is omnipresent, nor in essence, for he is a pure being. God does not change in his essence, in his attributes, and lastly, God does not change in his counsel or plans. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10 says, For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Yes, declaring the end from the beginning, and from the ancient times, from the ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. God says, I declare the things before they even happen. Anything I say will come to pass. God's plans, His counsel, His foresight, He goes, that doesn't change. So we got to see this. God is the same yesterday. Who He is yesterday is now who he's going to be today. And I think this is where I want to focus on. This is so beautiful to me. So he's the same yesterday, how he introduced himself, but the same today. So this God yesterday, so point number two, same today. This God yesterday is the same God today. The same God that Abraham worshipped is the God I worship. The same God that David cried out to and got help from is the same God I cry out to and get help from. The same God that Rahab and Sarah and so many others looked upon in faith is the same God I look upon in faith. You see, we serve and worship the same God from yesterday to today. So I love, go back to the phrase to, to Moses, hey, Moses, I am that I am. It left to me this like dot, 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 like what? What do you mean? I am who I am. I am what? And here's what I love Jesus comes on the scene, and in the Gospel of John specifically, we see Jesus over and over again answer that question. We see just go, I am. Now, I want to actually point this out. So in John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and Jesus says this classic statement, and this is what made people so angry with Jesus. This is why they want to crucify him. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Before, I want you to understand the, the gravity of this thing, by the way. If you're a Jewish person, and here's Jesus and goes, I am. Before Abraham, the father of our faith, before he was even alive, I am. Don't you think they'd know what he's saying? Wait a second. You're claiming you're the great I am? You're actually making yourself on the same page as I am that I am. I am who I am. The name that God gave to Moses. I mean, from that point on, they really wanted to crucify him. They really wanted to destroy his life. He goes, I am. I am the one that was revealed to Moses in the Old Testament. I am the one that your forefathers worshipped. I am. I am. I and the Father, he'd say in John 10, 30, I and the Father are one. Jesus had these I am statements, and I feel like he he fills in the blank. So, when again, Moses goes, or God says to Moses, I am who I am, you go, I am what? And maybe you've heard these I am statements from Jesus, but I just want to put them up here because they're so profound and so beautiful. Listen to this. Jesus answers the question, I am what? He says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will no longer hunger, and he who believes in me will, uh, will never thirst. He said, I am the light of the world, I am the door of the sheep. I am the resurrection of life. I am the way, truth, and life. I am the true vine. See, Moses goes, oh, God, you are who you are. What does that mean? Jesus goes, hey, let me answer that question. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection of life. Hey, are you not satisfied with life? Are you hungry? Are you constantly going on from one person or one experience to the next, constantly trying to fill this void? I'm the bread of life. Eat of me. You'll be filled. You'll be satisfied. You're not satisfied. There's this void in you. Eat of me. I'm the bread of life. Hey, you don't know where to go. You feel like your life is just in darkness. You have no idea what to do, what decisions to make. I'm the light of the world. Hey, you feel like you're just dry in your life. You're not getting anything out of life. You feel like life is maybe meaningless. You're not getting joy out of it. I am the vine. Abide in me. See, Jesus basically says, what it is you're looking for, I'm I'm the solution to. Hey, you fear death. What's next? Is this awesome, sick game? We just die and life is over. I am the resurrection of life. If you believe in me, though you die, shall live. You see, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today. Jesus is that great I am. Jesus is saying, hey, Moses, remember that story of Moses? Before Abraham was, I am. Remember that story of the I am? I am what you are looking for. All of these I am statements of Jesus are not so much just even the statements, but it's saying, I am the one who will meet your every need. I am the one who will satisfy what you're looking for. I am the great I am. I am filling in the blank. I am the one who meets what you are looking for. I just love this about our God that Jesus goes, I am, it's me. This again has meant so much because it's not so much, God, I want to get these things from you, as much as it's God, if I have you, I have everything else. I think so much of my life has been, God, I need help, I need this, I need meaning, I need life, I need focus, I need, I need drive, whatever, I need, I need these things. And he's like, I am. Meaning, it's not so much what can I get from God, but if I have God, I have everything else. See, we, we forget, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things are added unto you. The point being that, again, we want something from God, we think, but we are so wrong. We don't, we don't really want something from God. The thing that will truly satisfy us is God. Not something from him, but if I have the great I am, I have everything I need. And I think this is where, in your Christian life, God is trying to bring you to, saying, stop trying to get things from me and get me. I love, again, in Psalm 27, when, David said, when God says to David, David, seek my face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Again, not David. Seek my hand. Seek what I can do for you. Seek what I can give you, but just seek my face. Seek me. I am. I'm the one you're looking for. I'm the one who'll satisfy every craving and desire of your heart, because you know those things won't satisfy, but I I am. I will. I am who I am. This is Jesus. He answers the question. Isn't that so beautiful? Jesus comes on the scene and says, I am what you're looking for. I am who I am. Before Abraham was, I am. One of my favorite I am statements is actually, and you're going to see it this week, when we're studying about Jesus being taken in the garden. He's praying all night. The guards come to him, and they say, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And here's what it says in in John uh, chapter 18. Listen to this. John chapter 18, verse 5. Jesus said to them, I am. Like, I'm the one you're looking for. When Jesus said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground do you get I, I mean i don't know if we can imagine this that's like a nice way of putting it they're like hey we're looking for jesus of nazareth he goes i am when he said i am they drew back and fell to the ground it means like i just picture like they exploded back and fell to the ground what does it mean they drew back like it's meaning like he says these words i am and everyone just falls back to the ground i am they fell to the ground at the i am statement there is power in jesus jesus is the i am what jesus was yesterday he is today He's saying, I'm this. I'm the one who will satisfy you and meet your needs. There is this woman who wrote, uh, her name is Eliza Edmonds Hewitt. She wrote this. Just listen to this. She says, come sinners to the living one. He's just the same Jesus as when he raised the widow's son, the very same Jesus. Come feast upon the living bread. He's just the same Jesus as when, he, as when the multitudes he fed, the very same Jesus. Come tell him all your griefs and fears. He's just the same Jesus as when he shed those loving tears, the very same Jesus. Come midst the waves of trouble be, he's just the same Jesus as when he calmed the raging sea, the very same Jesus. What he was yesterday, he's still today. What he offered the disciples yesterday, he still offers us today. This is not just promises for them then. This is promises for us today. He is the same yesterday and today. Do we get that? That Jesus, who he was to the disciples, what he said, what he claimed, what he did, what he offered, he's still offering the very same things to you and me. This is so beautiful. I'm praying to the same Jesus that they worshiped. I'm bowing down to the same Jesus they worshiped. He's the same yesterday and today. Church, do we get this? Tim Keller put it this way so beautifully. He says, if God doesn't change, then what the biblical authors are saying about him is still true. The stuff you can read in the Bible is still relevant because God is changeless. It's still relevant. It still has meaning. It still has weight because he is the same Jesus. Yes? Tozer said this about this truth. He says, whatever God felt about anything, he still feels. Whatever he thought about anyone, he still thinks. Whatever he approved, he still approves. Whatever he condemned, he still condemns. He is the same yesterday and today. Yes? A couple of issues that maybe are brought up with this. God is immutable. Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever, but you go, but wait, Jesus, isn't he mutable? Because doesn't Jesus change? Didn't he, did he learn? I thought there's claims of that. He grew in wisdom and stature and favoring God with man. Here, here's the idea. When it comes, we call this the hypostatic union of Jesus, the fact that Jesus is fully God and fully man. Jesus in his divinity is immutable. Jesus in his humanity, we see, was mutable. He grew, he learned, he grew in favor. There's the idea that Jesus was both fully God and fully man. He was not 50-50. We ought to understand Jesus is immutable he is fully God, but he also, in his humanity, he is mutable. So we see this idea, because God, and I love this about God, God's like, I have to take on your limitations. I'm going to take on flesh. I'm going to walk among you. This is what's so beautiful about our God. He's fully divine, and we see that he's fully human. Sam Storms said about this truth, about Jesus being immutable and uh, mutable at the same time. He says, in Christ, we behold one who is both unchangeable and changeable. In short, the unchangeable Son of God took on changeable humanity in order that we, mutable humans, might enter a state of immutability. Because one day, the Bible says, when we see him, we will be like him. We are mutable. We change. And not always for the better. But one day, when we see him, we will be like him. That the immutable t- took on mutability, so we hear immutable might become immutable. Try to say that five times fast. That's the idea. This is what he did for us. This is what he gave up for us. This is he's fully God and yet fully man at the same time, in the same breath. Because there's issues brought up with this doctrine of immutability. And this is how we see he satisfies both. Now, with that, I want to bring this up because I want to, like, sometimes shoot myself in the foot. Because um, the question comes up, hey, wait, wait, wait. How can God be immutable, but doesn't God change his mind? Doesn't God repent? Have you ever, like, read v- verses that says, and God repented? You're like, well, how does God repent? I want to throw three of these verses up here just to make it difficult. Uh, Genesis 6.6. 6. It says, the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. Exodus 3.2.14. It says, so the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his people. Jonah 4.2, Jonah says, I fled previously to Tarshish, for I knew, God, that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Does God change his mind? Does God repent? Here's how I want to kind of, I guess, approach this. Uh, so often the Bible will use something we call anthropomorphic terms to basically describe something that's kind of beyond us, meaning God is spirit God is not man, God is spirit, God is eternal. Now, God has to relay who he is to us through certain terminology so we as human beings can understand it. Like when the Bible says God has an ear, that he, does God not have an ear that he can't hear or hands that he cannot reach out to save? God does not have an ear or hands. Those are like it's hyperbole or it's these anthropomorphic tor- terms to help us understand that we have a God who does listen, that we have a God who does reach out and save. It's not so much that God has bones and cells. Like, it's not so much like that that we might think. It's using these terms to help us understand how God works and how God moves. So when it says maybe God repented or God changed his mind, it's using certain terminology for us to better understand God, meaning God was really grieved in his heart. God was heartbroken. We got to understand that. Or we got to understand that when God says God changed his mind. It's using terminology to say that God was, he so grieves over sin. He's so broken over sin. You got from our vantage point, it, it appears to be that way. From our vantage point, it appears to change his mind. If you're still struggling with this, let me put it this way. God predetermined from the very beginning that if you and I were to repent, he would relent. Meaning, God has predetermined that, hey, if there's repentance, I'm going to change my course. If there's someone who stepped in the gap, like Moses stepped in the gap, he was that, that person who says, no, God, don't. He's the person that says, no, put it, pour out your wrath on me. Be a picture and figure and type of Christ. All of, these, all of these things are pointing to a greater and true story of Jesus being the one, no, no, pour out your wrath on me. Is it that God changes his mind or was that his plan from the very beginning? So Jeremiah 18 verse 8, let me put it more clearly. He's, God says, if that nation against which I've spoken turns from its evil, I will relent concerning the calamity I plan to bring on it. God says from the very beginning, if they repent, I will stop from pouring out judgment upon them. Did God change his mind? No, that was his plan all along. His plan all along, his divine foresight was, if there's repentance, I'm going to relent from judgment. My thing I wanted to see, because that question, of, does God repent, does God change his mind? God is using terminology so we can better understand him. Uh, there's, we see God's heart from the very beginning. If you repent, I will also forgive you for your sins. Another way of simply putting it is, God's character never changes, but his dealings with people change. God's character never, cha- never changes, but his dealings with us change. Let me put it this way. God is immutable, not immobile. Sometimes people think by the immutability of God, they think that God is immobile. We serve a God who is mobile. Let me be really clear. God is not immutable and immobile. He's just immutable. Stay with me. God does not change, but he's not. Oh, sorry, I didn't say I mean, I mean my bad. That's on me. Sorry. <laughs> I love that. That was great. That's so cool. Good job, guys. God does not change, however... Listen, God is mobile. God is mobile. He's not immobile. Meaning this, if you call upon him, he will act. If you repent, he will be moved to action. God is not immobile. Sometimes people say, I don't like this immutability of God thing. It just means that my prayers don't really work. Absolutely not. God has wired it and designed it in such a way where he's waiting for us to call upon him. He's waiting for us to pray. He's waiting for us to seek after him. Because God is not immobile. He is mobile. So yes, God is immutable, but he's not immobile. God still moves. God still works. God is still busy about saving people. God is still at work. The Holy Spirit is still moving, bringing people to repentance, bringing people to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is at work, and and he moves, and God is constantly doing his work. Even though we might not see it or we might not understand it, yes, God is immutable, but listen to this, God is mobile when it comes to our prayers. If we call upon him and we ask anything according to his will, what does James say? He hears us. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. I want you to see that God is not immobile. He is mobile. He's ready and willing to move. So this idea that Jesus is the same yesterday and today, yes. He's fully God, fully man. Jesus is the great I am. Jesus is the one who comes on the scene and says, let me satisfy the question of I am. I am. Before Abraham was, that was me. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth? I am. Everyone falls to the ground because Jesus is that great I am. He's like, I am what you're looking for. I will satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. He's the same yesterday and today and lastly, number three, forever. He's the same forever. Because going back to the very beginning, every single kingdom, every single king, every single person in power will be moved. But we serve a king that is immovable, a kingdom that will not be shaken. I love this in Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews 11, Abraham, it says he dwelt in tents, he was really wealthy, but he never built an extravagant, lavish house. Why? Hebrews 11, it says in verse 10, it says, For Abraham waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Abraham knew something that not all of us know. He knew that everything in this world is really just a shadow, but the substance, the true reality, is the kingdom of heaven. He was looking for the builder whose maker is God, he was looking for a foundation that will never be moved. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, he goes on to describe this more, and I just want you to hear this. Hebrews 12, verse 27, he says, yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of the things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we're receiving which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. What is he saying? He's saying this world is shakable, but we live in an unshakable kingdom. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken until nothing remains except the one thing that remains, the unshakable kingdom of God. Every kingdom will come and go. Our kingdom, our, our country, everything will come and go. All these kingdoms of the world will come and go, but there is a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Everything's shaken so that you and I can see the true reality of what truly remains. Let me put it this way. I read this story years ago. It's kind of a silly way to illustrate this truth, but there's a lumberjack in the forest, and he was, his job was basically to knock down trees, but he sees this mother bird trying to build a nest in his trees and he's like, I don't want to chop down this mom's home. So he shakes the tree. She flies out of that tree, goes to another tree. He shakes that tree. She flies out of that tree, goes to another tree. He shakes that tree. She flies out of that tree, goes to another tree until eventually she lands on a rock. And then he, he's like, I'll move on. And then he tears on the forest. The whole point was, he's trying to get her to realize all of these things are coming down. You need to build your life upon a rock. Meaning, for you and I, all of these things are coming down. What you and I see is going to come and go. We live for things that are just shadows, we pursue things that don't really matter. All of these things that can be shaken, listen, they will be shaken until only that which remains remains, until only that unshakable kingdom is left. As, as Paul said to Timothy, naked you came in, naked you'll leave. This idea that, you know what, you come to this world with nothing, you'll leave with nothing. Only true reality. Church, I just want us to hear this, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His kingdom is the only king that really matters. We can build our life, we can live our life for certain things for the next 30, 40, 50, 60 years, however more years God might give us, and you realize, what was that? I built, I pursued, I live for things that I'll ultimately just leave behind. I work for things that I'll ultimately just leave to my kids. Hopefully they don't blow it. Hopefully they don't become spoiled rats. Maybe they leave it to their kids. We just do this over and over again. Everyone just does the same thing throughout history. The whole point is everything will come and go. Everything will change until you realize, oh, no, no, there's only one who will not change. That the word of the Lord, that endures forever. God, he does not change. That his rock, his kingdom will not be moved. Our kingdom will be moved. Our trees will be cut down. We need to build our life, not upon a tree, but upon a rock. Everything's coming down. And this is what I love about the scripture, saying, hey, live for what matters. Live for eternity. Live for those things that cannot be taken from you. Live for those things that can never be stolen from you or taken from you. Send your treasure ahead in heaven. That's what Jesus says over and over again. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures in this earth, but store them up in the next life in heaven. Like, seek first the kingdom. Like, actually what you're doing, invest in things that have uh, eternal weight and glory to it. Because all of these things are coming down. Anything that can be shaken will be shaken. And so that which remains just simply remains, the kingdom of God. Church, this is what I, I, as we come into Easter week, as we come into Holy Week, as we come into this, we realize this, this story is true, that all of us will one day face the grave, that nothing really else matters except Jesus, his kingdom, what he's doing. Is it wrong to, to build up things? Is it wrong? Is it wrong? No, but it cannot be first, it cannot be primary, and it cannot take the place of kingdom of God. Sometimes I just my fear for the church in my life as well Is that we can be worried about building our kingdom and not god's kingdom We can invest in our world and listen that will be taken that will be shaken that will fall apart Until only that which is eternal remains the kingdom of god. Let's invest in heaven. Let's invest in eternity I would say this we're gonna just turn this prayer service and just or this service into prayer We want to pray now for souls. I really do believe we serve a mobile god Let's pray the same god the same god that david prayed to we're gonna pray to the same god that abraham prayed to we're gonna pray to The same God that Sarah prayed to, we're going to pray to right now. This immutable, unchanging God we are going to call upon. And I just want to ask, a few weeks ago you wrote down some names. Let's pray over those names. That they would come to know Jesus, believe in Jesus, hear the gospel, repent. That God's kingdom would come. That we would invest into a heavenly kingdom, an eternal kingdom that cannot be shaken. Yes? Can we do that? So what we're going to do is we're going to worship right now. We're going to pray. I want you guys to pray where you're at. I want you guys to say, God, I don't want to build my kingdom anymore. I want to seek first your kingdom. Jesus, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Everything else will be moved, but you will not be moved. You are the unmoved mover. You're the uncaused cause. Amen? Let's do that. Let's pray now. Father, we just thank you for this truth that Jesus, you are the same yesterday and today and forever. That you, Lord, do not change. God, that you are that rock, that anchor, that God, everything will come and go. There's so many... Beautiful and amazing men and women before us, and we don't even know their names. God, that this life is like a vapor. We just ask, God, that you'd help us live not for the vapor, not for the shadow, but for the substance, for you, Jesus, that you are the reality, that you are the true substance, as Colossians says, and everything else is a shadow. God, help us to not chase shadows any longer, but to seek first your kingdom. God, our friends, our neighbors, our family members, those that we've been praying for and are praying for that Jesus, this Easter in 2022, that they would respond to the gospel, that God, you'd open their hearts, you'd grant them repentance, that Jesus, they would believe on you, that we would trust in you, that for anyone in this room, God, that's still living for temporary things that do not matter, that they would start investing into the kingdom of heaven, that they'd store up treasures in heaven because you are the same forever. You are the same forever. So we praise you, Jesus. We need you. I just ask that you'd bless and move in this place, even now that we would turn this into a house of worship and into a house of prayer. We look to you, Jesus. We need you in your precious name, amen. Church, as we worship, as we sing, if you just wanna get with someone, if you wanna pray alone, if you wanna worship, feel free to, we're entering into what we call, again, traditionally, Holy Week, a week where we reflect on the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, and we are just gonna be in prayer that God would rescue and redeem and save. And so would you pray? Because we serve a mobile God who is immutable. We serve a mobile God who responds to our prayers. And I do believe we need to pray. And we need to pray diligently. And we need to pray earnestly. And so let's pray. Let's pray that God would save and move. Can we do that? Let's worship. Let's pray. Grab someone. Let's just turn this into a time of prayer and worship.